Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to frito to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Three mistakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. What's up, babes? Welcome back to Japers Rink Radio. I am your host, Adam Stringham, and today I'm happy to once again be joined by Isabel Kershudian of the Washington Post. Thanks for joining me, Isabel. Yeah, this is an annual tradition, so happy to be here. Yeah, i got to keep it going. I mean, unfortunately, the Capitals <laughs> broke our streak of uh, doing a preview for a series and then winning that round, so maybe maybe it'll go better for the regular season this time. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. Um, so I guess since, since I, we're recording this on the 24th, there was a pretty big indiv- or trade impact in the di- division today with uh, the Carolina Hurricanes trading Justin Folk for Joel Edmondson. Um, since I have you on the, on the line here, do you have any interesting thoughts on that trade? Yeah, I, you know, I, I think it was, I feel like we've been hearing Justin Falk's name in trade talks for like years now. Mm-hmm. Um, so it just kind of finally happened. But Carolina obviously has, a lot of defensemen um, with, you know, the signing of Gardner. Uh, they've got some young guys coming up like Jake Bean and Hayden Flurry. Uh, and I, I'm really, really, really impressed with Jacob Slavin. I think he is criminally mm-hmm. underrated. Um, that series against the Capitals kind of reinforced me how good he is. Uh, so, yeah, it, to me, like, just in fault, it's like a little redundant on that blue line. Um you know, I, I was at the cup final, but I don't know a ton about Edmonton. Uh, I feel like he's a kind of smaller piece for them in the grand scheme of things. But, um, you know, I like their blue line. I thought that was kind of the strength of their team in the playoffs. It should be again. Yeah, that's what I thought as well. Um, so I guess the question our most of our listeners will be most concerned about is what does this mean for the Capitals? I mean, they were, I mean, they kind of struggled a bit against Carolina in certain situations. Obviously they, they played them pretty close. Um, I mean, can't get much closer, but how do you think the Capitals compare to Carolina, especially in terms of kind of defensive depth with the changeovers the Capitals have had on the back end during the summer? Yeah, it's interesting. Like I don't view, it's odd because Carolina obviously won that playoff series, but I don't view Carolina as like a team they need to be like immediately worried about in the division. Hmm. Like Carolina is like sort of the classic case of a team that like 
was playing the right way and kind of got high at the right time. And, um, you know, obviously had a really special postseason and was doing um, some things I think we're going to see from the Capitals as far as like how aggressive they were on their forecheck. I think the Caps are trying to do some of that now. Um, but, I mean, when you talk about the grand scheme of, you know, getting the playoffs first and all of that, like, I don't think Carolina's really going to be, you know, they're not going to win the division, I don't think. You know, I think they're going to be another team that maybe have to, like, I expect them to be in the playoffs, but um, I think it'll be kind of close again for them. And for the Caps, again, probably going to be, like, the Pittsburgh um you know, Columbus, I think they might take a little bit of a step back uh, just with some of those losses they suffered, uh, whereas the Devils take a step forward. Uh, a lot of people think Philly is going to be better than uh, maybe advertised. Um, and then I, I just assume the Islanders will make the playoffs because Barry Trotz is their coach, and <laughs> that is what he does. Um, so, you know, for me, like, Carolina right now, I don't think they – like. With Pittsburgh, that was always a team they were measuring up against. I don't see Carolina sort of in that same vein yet. Um, because I think at the end of the day, if you're looking at how you measure up with them, I still think the Cats have a better team and had a better team. But maybe Carolina's style of play and sort of how they were playing at the time uh, was a difference in a series that goes down to second overtime in Game 7. That's one where like maybe you don't need to overanalyze too much. Carolina's kind of been one of those traditional analytical darlings over the last few years, but the one thing that was always consistent with them um, was that they always shot at a very low percentage, while the Capitals have always been kind of on the opposite end as a team that kind of has always had that offensive talent and finished at a high rate. Um, is that kind of the kind of things that you expect to really be kind of what make the Capitals different from a lot of other teams in the division? I mean, when I think of elite talent in that division, my thoughts are always... Uh, Washington and Pittsburgh, and that might just be, be because they have two of like probably the best five athletes of the last twenty years. I mean, are well, right. probably two best of the last twenty, to be honest. Yeah, I think you know, I don't. I I think we'll see some differences with the Caps um, systematically. You know, last year was Todd Rudin's first year, yes, but really, like a lot of his job was keep everything the same, and mm-hmm. um, he put his stamp on some things, but I don't think he was going to change as much as maybe he would have if he became the head coach of a different team or whatever, um, because it's a weird situation when you're taking over the Stanley Cup winner. Um, in a weird way, this kind of feels like the real year one of Todd Reardon, um, because it's a different personnel, a little bit separation from the Cup winning team, um, and a little bit of separation from the Bay and uh, obviously, after a first round exit, there's sort of a desire to change more things. Um, but in general, like the kind of shooters they have, the skill they have, uh, with you know Novechkin, with um, you know even a Verona can sort of kind of a sharper shooter. Um, but like, you know, I I think they are going to try to be maybe a little bit more you know, conscious of not relying, relying on that too much. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how it plays out because I do expect there to be kind of more change than maybe any of us are talking about right now. 
it's just hard to see it in preseason, you know? Yeah, with all the roster movements and an inconsistent lineup, it's hard to see. I mean, you mentioned a more aggressive forecheck, and again, you just prefaced it to say it's hard It's hard to see, so might be a bit of an unfair question. But besides that, is there anything that's kind of that you're expecting to see besides that more aggressive forecheck? I think the power play, while it'll be, like, structurally the same, I think there will be some small differences. Only because, like, I think we started to see last year kind of the beginning of, you know, maybe some of the things we've been doing for a while, like, kind of start to run its course. Um, I don't think anybody thought that power play was, like, amazing last year. And I don't think it was bad, but, like, um, I think if people are getting a little frustrated with power play, maybe we'll see some differences there. Penalty kill, I think it'll be a lot more like it was um, after the trade deadline than before. Um, and like, they might be one of the, you know, they might go extremes, right? Like really, really bad penalty killing team for a while there last season. And then, you know, they got some guys, you know, Haglin and Jensen at the trade deadline. And then the off season, they got even more guys. And now they might be like a really, really, really good peaking team for all we know with Hathaway, who is excellent at the job in uh, Calgary and, you know, Hagelin's still there, obviously. Ponick can do it. Um, so it might be a situation where then Oshie and Backstrom and even Wilson, to a lesser degree, just aren't killing as much. And um, they'll be healthier. I think they'll be kind of interesting to see how that all plays out. With I think they're going to start being conscious about how old some of their like top, top guys are getting and maybe trying to manage their minutes a little bit. Because fatigue was definitely something they saw as a factor towards the end of last season, coupled with, you know, a shorter offseason to win the Cup. Yeah, it's definitely interesting, especially when you talk about a guy like Oshie who's just got such a history of, of injuries, which i, I got to imagine mm-hmm. that those tough penalty kill minutes really have to wear on the body. And, um, again, you know, when the body gets hurt, it just seems like they really add up. And every after every injury, it's easier to get hurt again. Um uh, I did want to ask you about defensive pairings. I mean, it's going to be a bit tough to see how things are going to shake out. I mean, the Capitals have been going through, um, I mean, just changes after changes. What, what do you see as kind of the, the most likely um, kind of long-term pairings um, on the back end? And I guess the one I'm really interested in the most is, and it's weird because it should be less minutes, is what's going on with Christian Juice? And are we going to see him kind of getting anywhere close to the minutes he got in the playoffs when the Capitals won the Cup? Yeah, I um, I think the for sure in all of it is Carlson Kempney. Um, that's not going anywhere. Uh, I expect that to all be good. If you know, I think Kempney will play in Game One um, if he's recovering from that hamstring injury. But um, even if he doesn't, like it won't be that much long after, and that'll be the pair. Um, I'm just gonna go like in order here. The second pair. Uh, with Orlov, right now, to me, it feels like Gudis is kind of the favorite to play with him to start the season. Uh, and that's just because, like, to me, Gudis has looked really good. Um, I think they really are kind of pleasantly surprised by how good he's looked. And I think that pair oddly makes some sense, that um, you have Orlov who kind of wants to, you know, get in the attack and do what he does and, you know, Gudis can kind of be the hard presence around the net. And maybe that's what you need against, you know, when you're a top four pair and you're playing like kind of top players is you need someone who's going to be a good, like net front guy. Um, 
and I don't see Jensen as that. Um, and so with that being said, like Jensen's a really good skater and maybe he pairs well with Keegan Baller on a third pair. Uh, but we have seen a lot of Jensen and Juice. Jen and Juice, as I like to say. Um, so far in preseason, I mean, we have a week to go and it's really the most important week. Um, but, um, yeah, I, I don't know. I think right now Seekenthal still has the edge over Juice um, for the significant playing time. And I think they see Siegenthaler as a guy who, when company is hurt or when something like that happens, he's the one who can slot up. Um, I thought Siegenthaler did look good with uh, Carlson those last couple of playoff games um, when they stopped playing Carlson and Jensen. So, you know, I... I think it's still pretty fluid and I think there's still like a legit competition between Siegenthaler and Juice, but, um, you know, for, for a while there, I thought cap issues would force them to maybe trade Juice mm-hmm. and, um, you know, and some of that's because of the arbitration number he got, I think it's like, you know, 1.3 ish million. Right. Um, so, and they are really in love with like, Fayarvi, Fayarvi, however you say his name, Martin. Um, as like a guy who's like an incredible skater and kind of has a lot of company attributes to him. Um, so yeah, to me, it all hinges on maybe who goes up to that second pairing with Orlov. And if it's Gudis, then I think, you know, Jensen's maybe a better fit with Siegenthaler. If it's Jensen who's playing with Orlov, then... Um, I don't know, maybe they see Gudis being better with Juice um, because then you've got kind of an orbit juice similarity, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think it's still pretty fluid, but those are my guesses right now. Well, I mean, if you're making them, it feels pretty educated to me. It's definitely going to be interesting. The Orpic, that old Orpic juice dynamic is definitely an interesting one, as that pairing did have some success. And it looks like Gudis is, is moving the puck pretty well so far. So, mm-hmm. um, Yeah, he is. Kind of tangentially related to Gudis, historically over the last few years, the Capitals have had a trouble with being a pretty highly penalized team. Um, Gudis obviously is a guy who's had a lot of penalty trouble as well. Um, and ultimately, I guess it's going to be on the coaching staff, Todd Reardon, to kind of um, keep those down this year. Like, do you think the Capitals, do you expect to see the Capitals do anything differently to kind of curtail the amount of penalties they've been taking? Or is it more of a, that's why we got all these great penalty killers in here? You know, I think it's a combination of both. Like, when Reardon talks about guys being aggressive, he's saying, skating, skating, skating. I want us to skate. Mm-hmm. So, typically, when you're skating and you're moving your feet, you're not taking as many penalties, right? Uh, when you have the puck, you're not taking the penalties. So I think that's like, you know, kind of the trickle down effect. Like it might have a role in that, but um, it also might be where Brian McClellan is like, okay, I have to face back. We took a lot of penalties for whatever reason, uh, and that means I need good penalty killers to go through it. Um, so here you go. Makes sense to me. Um, <laughs> do you see any more? Do you see any other really um, positions uh, that are kind of still up for grabs on the forward um, side of things? I mean, is Chandler Stevenson going to be the odd man out? I think so, yeah. There's been a lot of sort of signs to that effect. A couple, you know, days ago they had basically a group that was like all NHL players, 
Um, and Stevenson wasn't in it. He was in the group with all, you know, AHL guys. Um, you know, he hasn't gotten a ton of preseason action. Just the people he's skating with, you know, they have obvious cap issues that, you know, I think he's just going to end up costing too much. And, you know, they went out and they got guys to replace him. Uh, they don't really need him on the PK when you have a Hathaway, when you have a Hagelin, uh, when you have a Tannis. They, you know, they, I just think he's getting kind of, I think reading between the lines, he was pushed out in the summer. Um, and now it's just, I don't think they want him out of the organization. Like, I expect them to waive him on, like, the big waiver day. Um, and maybe an injury happens and he's, like, the first or the second call-up. And who knows? Like, he could, he's found a path to redemption before where he was waived. But um, right now, at least, it looks like he is the one out. Yeah, he definitely he played a big role in that Stanley Cup championship, but it just seems like the offense isn't there, um, and the team's definitely mm-hmm. going to need it on all cylinders. Um, you know, there were some changes on the third line, obviously, with Connolly and Burakovsky out. Now you're going to have Haglin and Panic kind of consistently on that third line. Uh, how do you see that group producing, and, and really is it going to, like, really relative to what we saw last year, how do you think they're going to look offensively? Yeah, I think that's a big question mark for them. Is I don't know if they're going to be able to have that kind of offensive success, that third line, um, because Holland's not never really been like a huge offensive you know, scorer. Um, and Ponick's a couple years removed. I think he could get there with the way the Caps play. He said some interesting things to my colleague, Samantha Carl, um, about how he thought last year with Arizona was his best season. Um, where as far as the kind of hockey was playing the all around play and he was like, and you know, just we just don't didn't score that many goals as a team. He's like, but like on a team like Washington with the style they play, like the goals will be there if I just play the same way. And I, I think he has a point there. Um and you know I if any healthy, I think last year serious things were kinda of bothering him throughout the year. Um I think they're going to be fine, but in general, in that bottom six, like, I think there's reason to be concerned that there's just, is Nick Dowd really going to follow up his career season? Is, you know, Garnet Hathaway going to give you the goal production? Is Brendan Leipzig? Like, um, you know, Connolly and Burakovsky, even Burakovsky for all his struggles, pretty consistent in giving you double-digit goals. Um, so, I think that's a concern for them, is where are they going to get the scoring from the bottom six? Yes, you're going to have probably better two-way play from there, and maybe that's what they were looking at, that, hey, in the playoffs, we need, like, good defensive play. Um, but I think there is some concern as far as who's going to score the goals. And, you know, guys seem to come to the top snap for a year, so who knows? Like, maybe Highland will have a resurgence. Uh, maybe halfway will uh, show something he has at this point, but at least right now, I think that's a question mark. When we transition into kind of like the top six, um, I think kind of one of the big talking points is going to be kind of Kuznetsov's defensive play. I mean, we talk about from a two-way perspective how kind of we might get more defense out of the bottom six than we've gotten historically. Um, you know, a lot was made of Kuznetsov's kind of struggles on that end last year. Do you think we're going to see a more well-rounded defensive game from him, kind of get back to that kind of two-way play we saw in the Stanley Cup playoffs a couple of years ago? Or is this kind of going to be the new Kuznetsov who's kind of not as engaged defensively as, you know, we one would probably like to see from um, such a highly paid player? 
Yeah, I don't know. I, to me, I think this whole summer, everything that happened off the ice um, with the positive cooking test and all of that, like, I think he's got to be highly motivated. I think the organization has made it pretty clear that, hey, yeah, you scored 70 points last season, but, like, you were you're all, kind of all over the place. Um, they haven't really been subtle about any of that um, with the media, so I can't imagine they were with him. Mm-hmm. Um so I think we are, to me, when that guy is trying to prove something, he could be the best player in the world, um, just with kind of his skating, with his creativity. Um, but yeah, sometimes he did just kind of look disengaged. And, you know, maybe it was hard for him to kind of get up and run and after the log cup run. Maybe he's like, flip it on when the, cup, when the playoffs came. I don't know. But I think he's going to be out there to try to prove something this year. Um which should bode well for the Caps, but, um, yeah, we'll see. They definitely need him. Look, he's not going to be able to play like he did in the cup run mm-hmm. every single night for 82 games. Yeah. Um, but he needs to kind of be something closer to that more consistently. You know, 30 games with an even strength goal or whatever it was, like, that can't happen. Um, so I think they've made that pretty clear to him, and, I think he gets it, and like I said, I think it's a good sign for them that he's pretty motivated right now to kind of show them that he is who they thought he was. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be a good one. So uh, one <laughs> real. So on a over-under for Jacob Vrana goals this year, if someone set the line at 29, what would you take, Isabel? Oh. God, you know, I, we were having a discussion about this in the media room today, I think it's, like, so unfair to, like, expect that guy to score 30 goals this year. Um, I'm going to take the under, but not by much. I'm going to say he's going to get, like, 25 or 26. Well, because I think it's hard. Uh, you know, teams are going to be playing him differently. They're going to expect more of him. They're kind of kind of know to, you know, be careful with his speed and all of that. Um, but I think his point total will be up significantly. Where, like, maybe we see a little bit more of an all-around game where he's creating for teammates and stuff like that. It's picking up points and not just in the goals column, if that makes sense. No, it does. Do you see him, uh, like when I think of Verona, I think of Adam playing more on the right side and it looks like he's going to kind of, he's definitely going to be more on the left side, right? If he's playing with Kuznetsov and Oshi. I don't know why I imagine right. on the right side. I'm probably just thinking about him being there with Ovechkin and during the playoffs a little bit a couple of years ago. But do, do you think there's going to be any... <sighs> Will that be the same for him, or do you see him kind of having to tweak his game a bit to kind of get used to playing with Kuznetsov and Oshi kind of full-time now rather than kind of bouncing around a little bit between the, the lines? Well, I think, you know, he's... I liked him most when he was playing with Backstrom uh, and Oshi. Um, but we'll see. I mean, what the lines are now, how long they'll stay, who knows. Um to me, I thought he was good with Eller and he was good with Backstrom. And maybe Kuznetsov, like, they would have to stand, but it was kind of inconsistent. But when Kuznetsov, you know, playing at the top of his game, really everybody does well. So a lot of it's dependent on who you're not necessarily. But, um, yeah, I think by the end of the season, we'll probably see him with Backstrom and Oshie, just my guess. Because I do think that complements him better. But those guys are able to get him the puck, and he's able to kind of take off with his speed. Yeah, his foot speed is, is still just, you know, among the best. Uh, I mean, 
I think it's the fastest guy on the team, and it will definitely be. And that, that's saying something with Carl Hagelin on the team as well. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I was asked to give you, these are very specific questions i got to ask you, Isabel. I need to get percentage chance from you that we see Nicholas Backstrom re-signing with the Capitals after this season. Um, wait, who asked you to ask me this? <laughs> uh, the person would probably like to ma- remain anonymous, but it was John Press. <laughs> um, percentage chance, I would say like 98. All right, so that's like in the bag. Lock it up. Uh, oh, yeah, I think so. The Isabel guarantee. Um, <laughs> and what about Braden Holpe? I think that's probably a tougher one. Yeah, that's the opposite end of the spectrum. I would say uh, 15. 15? Yeah, I I find it highly unlikely. (laughs) So the future is now for Ilya Samsonov. How how much time are you expecting him to get this year uh, between the pipes? So it's going to be an interesting one. Um, I think some people have alluded to this, but basically with how those salary caps stand, you know, once his nuts off is activated, right? Like, he, his cap doesn't count while he's suspended. But mm-hmm. once that, like, is added to the books, um, they can't afford to have Samsonov on the roster and an extra forward and Christian Juice. And I really don't think they're going to trade Christian Juice. I think he is here to stay. But they can't afford to keep all those people if they have Vanichak on the roster. So what I expect is the start of the season, you know, maybe Samson plays like one of the first three games. Um, but eventually, I think they'll have Vanacek as the backup for like a month or so to bank enough cap space. And then uh, this is all like a very in-depth prediction. But then they will um, be able to swap them and bring up Samsonov because they will have banked the space to be able to afford Samsonov and to keep all those humans. Um, at which point, I don't know how much he plays. I, I think they're going to keep Braden under 60 again. Uh, so, you know, maybe 15 NHL games-ish. Um, or something like that. No, it's got to be more than that. Um, yeah, I guess, like, up for the, yeah, 15, because Vantage will get a couple of starts. That's my prediction. Sorry. Uh, uh, I like it. And... <laughs> Do you expect to see the Capitals make any significant trades with their big contracts before the end of the year? Uh, no. No. All right. So we're going to have what we're going to have. So that's it. So I'm going to pretend that these were I mean, guarantees. I don't think they're off the rails, but I think they will. <laughs> no, I think that, it, I mean, the Capitals are still in it to win it, so it'd be hard to imagine. Right. It's hard to win a trade when you're trading one of your best players. And uh, fortunately Correct. for the Caps, most of their highest salary people are their best players. Um, it's, it's usually not, not a problem that you're paying those guys unless that's not the case. So um, that, That's awesome, Isabel. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to join me today. And uh, it's been a bit of a tradition. Right? It's probably the third year in a row we've done this preview episode. So thanks again for joining yeah. us. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Uh, Isabel, everyone by now knows to find your work on the Washington Post, but uh, why don't you just, if if you want to make any other plugs, I mean, go right for it. Yeah, um, I'm at, at iKershudian on Twitter, I-K-H-U-R-S-H-U-D-Y-N. And um, you should also read my colleague, Samantha Pell, at Samantha J. Pell, P-E-L-L. Um, she's going to be covering the cap along with me this year. So, both of us.
Thanks again, Isabel, and I hope all of our listeners will go and read both of their nice work and give us a five-star review on iTunes. Thanks, everybody.